We live in a scary world. And as parents, we try to make our kids feel safe in that world. We check their beds for monsters. We try to make them feel safe and secure. We want them to feel protected. We want them to feel like there's nothing to worry about. So why is Hollywood trying so hard to scare them? And why do kids seem to like it so much? Welcome to The Plugged In Show, our regular discussion about all things entertainment and technology. I am Paul Acey, your not-so-ghost host, filling in for our dearly departed, at least for this segment, Adam Holtz. <laughs> I'm joined by Kennedy Unthank, Emily Clark, and Jonathan McKee. Hey, hey. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're going to talk about scaring kids, not actually how to scare them, because that would be totally inappropriate for this podcast, oh, but why they sometimes like to be scared and why Hollywood continually does its best to get, put them in goosebumps for, for pretty much this entire month of October. Um, and after that, we're going to go into a completely different realm, and our own Adam Holtz is going to be talking with David A.R. White about his latest movie that's streaming on Pure Flix. Nothing is impossible. But first, I wanted to ask you guys, what gives you goosebumps? I'm not talking about what you might have been scared of back when you were a kid, when you were five years old. I'm talking about the irrational fears that you have in your soul right this very moment. And I don't want to hear pop culture connection. Yeah, uh, so I can go first. I uh, am terrified of spiders uh, and also things that are spider-esque. So like house centipedes and things. I just, I don't yeah. care how small they are. I, it, like if I see it on my wall or something, it it's life is over. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I share that fear. I hate spiders. I, I, I hate most bugs in general, um, but spiders especially, uh, I have screamed more than once here at focus in oh, my cubicle we've heard you yes we have Paul heard knows. you he's been present for both both spider screams um like man that must be a scary movie over there <laughs> i thought she was bad. being murdered well <laughs> what's really funny is that there's a giant spider that is outside of my house right now and he has this really cool web like it's like the stereotypical like beautifully designed web and he doesn't bother me because we na I named him Boris um or Not I Charlie. didn't I didn't name him Boris um but still, we named him Boris, and I like him because I'm like, okay, you're outside. You're killing other bugs. We're good with this. Just don't come inside, yeah, and yeah. Boris, you and I can get along. <laughs> yeah, it's his territory. Well, it, it, exactly. That's exactly. 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 So spiders don't scare me. I actually take all the spiders in our house. My wife tells me where they are, and I take a glass, and I carry them outside and put them down gently to, to live their lives. To live That's their crazy. lives. You in peace. tried to do that with one of my work spiders, and you dropped it. <laughs> and we, and I don't know hilarious. where he went. He's probably still crawling around up there. <laughs> oh, I've seen him. I've seen That's, him in your. It's, in your it's funny that it's funny that they're that spiders came. I mean, I literally thought, oh, they're going to have some, you know, really sophisticated fears, you know, global warming or something <laughs> like that. And and I am I am terrified of spiders. Really, in my house, in my house, literally, if there's burglars, rabid dogs, anything, it's all, I got it. I no problem. I'll take it. I'm stupid how not scared I am of stuff. But if there is a 
to, to uh, Kennedy, you said it so well. Yeah. A spider-like creature, something that creeps <laughs> and crawls. My wife knows that she has to kill it because I'm, I'm, you know, in the corner, shuddering. I'm worthless. And uh, as a matter of fact, there's a famous incident that she will refer to where I was home alone and I called her at work. Oh, you're Because I was me. watching. Because oh, I was, I was <clears throat> watching when our kids, when my 29 year old was two and he was on the floor playing and the spider was up on the ceiling above. And I'm like, oh, there's a spider, but it's above. She's like, you have to kill it. I'm like, no. She like talked me through it. She's like, Jonathan, you can do this. If you don't do this, he'll be in date. And I'm like, okay, uh, what do I do? She's all, wad up a magazine. Oh, what magazine? It was really, I mean, she will still today refer to that. The spider incident of 1995. That's hilarious. That is very funny. Um, My answer is big fish. Really? Big fish. Like whales? Like the movie? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, big fish. For whatever reason, I have nightmares about, I don't know whether it's because I live in Colorado, so we only have little tiny fish wherever we have water, the rare places we have water. But yeah, I have nightmares about these gigantic, not whales, I love whales, but but 30-foot fish scare me so when i go to like an aquarium and i see uh those catfish with the huge mouths that could swallow your foot (laughs) totally freaks me out totally freaks me out what do you think about seafood (laughs) see they're dead so i can do that (laughs) they can't eat him he is now eating them (laughs) he actually likes it better it's like i just i just laugh maniacally (laughs) when i eat that's pretty good laugh laugh. i've been practicing Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I'll have to do my that's, evil laugh for you sometime. That's Paul. what I do when I edit. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> on to what we actually came here to discuss, which is scary movies for kids. It seems like uh, lately we've seen a ton of them, and you've both reviewed, Kennedy and, and Emily, you've both reviewed quite a few of them lately. We've seen Hocus Pocus 2. We've seen uh, mm-hmm. Curse of Bridge Hollow on Netflix. We've seen The Monsters. We've seen Monster High, the musical. All these, of course, are designed mainly to make their audiences laugh, not hide behind the couch. But yeah. but you still have those those scary elements within them. And I think the kids are attracted to these movies because of those elements. Why do you think that is? Do you think the kids like to be scared? And if so, why? I think that that's really just depends on the kid. Because, like, you know, I think about my older sister growing up. She loves scary movies. She loved being scared. The scarier, the better. And I, you know, would take three days to watch a two-hour movie because I would have to sit there and I'd watch, like, ten minutes. And then I'd go and I'd watch, like a funny TV show for two and a half hours and then I'd come back and I'd watch another 10 minutes, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I I was the same way. My older brothers, they, they loved scary movies. I did not. You just did not. You know, I, I mean, even today, every time I go to a scary movie that I know is going to have a lot of jump scares, I'm always there like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> See, I kind of like scary movies now, but I think that's just because I like it. Like when my heart races like that, it's like an adrenaline spike. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. See, I was one of those kids who really did like scary stuff. I mm-hmm. really thought it was it was cool. It was sort of um, exotic for me, you know, because okay. my parents 
wanted me to stay away from all that stuff. And so I was I was attracted to it. Um, oh, but, so it was a rebellion thing. Well, it might have been partially rebellion, <laughs> right? Because you, you do feel like those scary movies are things that your parents might not want you to watch. And so it makes it all the more appealing to watch. Mm. Now... I have read that uh, that psychologists actually say that that a lot of kids like scary movies because it sort of helps them deal with fear in mm. in a more controlled environment. Like mm. I, I think that that oftentimes we try to protect our kids from any sort of fear in in their worlds, but kids just feel scared. There's a lot of scary things from from what they imagine to what is really out there. And so some psychologists say that when you give your kids sort of this forum where you can actually um, deal with some of these fears in a more controlled environment, it sort of empowers the kids. It's a control Hmm. factor for the kids, which I found interesting. I'm not completely sure whether I buy it completely because I also know that, that, you know, some of the stuff that I watched as a little kid, it really bothered me. Mm, mm-hmm. Like you had nightmares. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's oh, yeah, also maybe where you have to draw a line as a parent is, you know, is this helping my kid process their real life fears or is this just giving them nightmares? Yeah. Is yeah. this just terrorizing them? Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I think, I think as a parent, sometimes we have to think of, you know, there's things that our kids have an interest in and then we think, oh, how do we navigate this thing that they're interested in? But then sometimes as parents, I think we got to be careful what we introduce to them, right. you know, because we're, we're sitting there thinking, oh, this is fun. And maybe we don't think through the ramifications of that. This is going to scare the pants off our kids, <laughs> you know, and uh, and we should probably think through that. I, I think that if you're kid likes being scared. I mean, I grew up personally liking ghost stories and we would go camping all the time as a family. And I have really fond memories of my dad telling these, you know, these scary stories. And they weren't really actually ghost stories. It's funny that we call them that. It was, it was, it was always like a, like he had this one story called Thump slush and he would tell thump slush and it was like the sound and he never even found out what it was because just at the end of the story he goes "Ah!" and everybody jumps and throws their marshmallows and stuff and every year we'd be like tell thump slush you know and we would know it's coming and everything but there was something about we loved you know doing that and in the same way we played this game in the house called gorilla which was basically hide and seek but my dad was a gorilla and he would hide and we had to find him and we knew as soon as we found him he would jump out and go like this and and it terrified us i mean we were so scared but then we're like again again you know and it's funny because my grandson now talk about passing it down two years old my my wife will go around the house and she's like, I'm going to get you. And he'll run around the corner. And she's like, I'm going to. And then when she finally gets up to him, she'll go, yeah, like this. And he goes, ah. And then immediately his little two-year-old voice, again, <laughs> again. So, you know, it's fun and you can have fun with it. And I, I think if our kids are interested in some stuff like that, we can – you know, find a, a movie like my daughter was constantly frightened of uh, of little things like that, and she was attracted to almost scary movies. And so, like I, I remember watching Ghost in the Darkness with her, which is about the two lions in Africa. True story, you know. And it was a fun movie to watch with a kid. You know, I didn't think it was. That. I remember watching Jaws with her. Those were kind of fun experiences. It's a whole different realm when people are talking about these these movies now that are about like, you know, you know, possessed people and this, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's, that's a whole different realm, but I mean, just, just kind of being scared and, and, you know, the jump and the scare, uh, you know, if your kids are interested in that, have a little fun with it. 
You know, that's an interesting thing that you bring up, the occult uh, angle, because I yeah. know that Hocus Pocus 2 had a surprising level of occult content, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's supposed to be this this fun, you know, the original is very fondly remembered by its fans. Yeah. But there was a lot to that, wasn't well, there? Well, if, if I'm being honest, like, I'm one of those people who was a fan and who, you know, grew up on the original Hocus Pocus mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. remembers it fondly. But then I'm watching the sequel and I'm seeing all these occult things and I was like, this movie is a lot more witchy than I remember. And mm. like, and I mean, not even than I remember. I think I just, I wasn't reviewing it as right. a kid, you right. know, reviewing it as an adult. I was just kind of like, oh, wow, there's, there's a lot of problematic content here. And yeah, it's not yeah. any different from the first movie. The first movie is just as a cult in my opinion, but um, it was just kind of shocking to see it. Uh, presented as a kids movie because I I almost feel like the first movie was perhaps a little less kid friendly. Um, just some of the characters. Because it gave kids nightmares. I've read stuff online. Oh yeah, it... and like and also just like you know Sarah Sanderson, the youngest sister, she was a little more sexualized in the first movie than she was in this one. Um, and just some other things between like in this one, you know, there's three female uh, teenagers, so there's no like romantic relationship relationships happening in the first movie uh the older brother he you know is trying to date this other girl and you know so there's like again that sexualized aspect of it in the first movie that in my opinion made it less kid-friendly this one um i don't know but but again with all the occult stuff it was actually kind of shocking because i was like you know if you're sending your kid to watch this like is it gonna scare them like the first one probably not is it gonna you know put some ideas in their heads that maybe aren't healthy? Probably. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of the occult thing, again, you just watched Curse of Bridge Hollow, and you mentioned that that had quite a few occult elements in it as well. Yeah, no, it was was surprising. You know, and you can tell the intent of the director whenever you're watching the movie. Like, their intent isn't to overtly push this occult stuff. Right. But, you know, when when you're watching Curse of Bridge Hollow, which, you know, I, I watched yesterday, and the whole thing is about this demon who's trying to come back um and he's allowed to come back one night a year he comes back on halloween and he uh essentially brings all of these halloween decorations to life and they start fighting the town wow um but at one point they realize oh well the only way we're going to be able to put away this demon is by using a binding spell out of this grimoire which is a book of spells they say well the what happened to that book of spells, which was owned by a medium, by the way. Um, they say, oh, well, we sold it to a Satanist. Oh, goodness. So we have to go talk to the Satanist Jeez. who collects all of these wow. occult things. Um, now, granted, spoiler alert, by the end of the movie, the Satanist converts to Catholicism because he realizes, hey, maybe I maybe shouldn't align the right with track. the forces yeah. of darkness. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but... Yeah, it's just there, there's quite alert. a bit there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's they do seances, you know, in order to obtain sure. information from a dead ghost. Yeah, so. yeah. So if you were talking to to a parent right now, when you're talking about some of these movies that are made for kids, you know, and I think that that some parents might just put their their sons or daughters in front of the TV without even thinking about it because they think this is kid friendly. What would you? How would you advise parents to navigate these kid movies that have these occultic elements? Yeah, so I think 
we sometimes do a disservice when we just say, you know, well, Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is pure, you know. Because when we bring that up, if we want to really be true to that, we probably wouldn't watch any movies at that point. <laughs> because, I mean, those war movies, same thing. Romance movies, I, I've got people who would say no to Harry Potter, but say yes to stuff from, like, Redeeming Love. Mm, you know, what? Mm. The, there's definitely a lot of stuff in Redeeming Love that's not good and holy and pure, you know. But when when we think about that, we really have to think about, okay, well, what's what are we getting out of this? Is this movie causing me to stumble? Mm. That's a big thing, you know, to think about. No, we shouldn't be watching something if it causes us to have those sinful thoughts or to stumble in any way. You know, uh, same thing with uh, if it goes against our personal conscience. You know, if it, because the Bible says, hey, for you it is a sin. If you believe something is a sin and you still do it, that's in Romans 14, if you believe that something is a sin and you continue to do it, then you are sinning against your own conscience. Um, and finally, I think as well is, you know, wh- is it affecting us just in general? Like, can are yeah. we able to discern whether something is good or bad in a movie? Because if we are able to discern it, then we can. I think we can still approach it with caution. I think with the occultic stuff, it's a bit further down the line that you might want to have a heavier conversation i'd personally avoid it because i don't like that stuff Mm. um but if you're able to discern that stuff you know i i I think there's two things that can kind of help here a little bit and and one is um if our kids ever you know seem interested in that or bring it up or whatever i think one thing to do is to be sure to embrace the conversation um as a matter of fact uh, actually put the ball in their court. If they're mm-hmm. like, hey, can I watch this? Say, I don't know. What do you think? You know, how, how, how can we discern whether good things are good to watch or not? You know, hey, what's the Bible say about that? And when you start giving them all these questions, bring the conversation up because you want to make it safe. If it's one of those things where we just, you know, nope, we're not because I said so. It makes it the forbidden fruit. There'll be a curiosity and they're going to see it yeah. at their friend's house. You know, so talk about it. Embrace the conversation. Look for ways to dialogue about what we should and shouldn't watch. And, and uh, you know, that's where this podcast, um, you know, you as our listeners, you know that we talk about this all the time and we have these dialogues. And so hopefully this is this might even give you some ammo for those conversations on how to to, you know, engage our kids in these conversations and things we can ask them and stuff like that. The second thing is, is think of like that guy at the railroad station who like um, shifts those tracks. And I don't even know what it's called. But when a train's moving down the road, they don't stop the train, but they shift it to where the train instead of going down one track, they they're still moving forward but they just moved to another track think of yourself as that operator of the tracks because i had a daughter who was so intrigued by scary and she's like can we watch something can we watch them and i would have those dialogues and still she was like so can we watch something you know it's like it was still there and parents know that happens and so for you i'm like sure you know what movie really terrified me you know and i'd be like what and i would divert her towards a movie with like aliens or something that was like i've talked on this on this show so many times signs great mm-hmm. movie that has great spiritual dialogue uh i remember when we watched super eight when they were a little older super eight is basically stranger things but not as creepy uh you know it's a uh, space alien takes over running from the alien you know your cloverfield type films you know you know honestly it, it's you know i'd say divert a little bit because for my daughter she loved it and it was fun and we had some fun moments like with those types of movies and it actually seemed to work and she never was like you know uh can we watch this one about this you know sorcerer or the you know and she did bring it up again i put the ball in her court so tell me about it what do you think is this right and we were able to navigate those conversations 
No, I think that's actually really good, Jonathan, because like if you have your kid and I'm going to use an example because I've reviewed it for Plugged In, but like the Conjuring movies Mm. um, and all of its many spinoffs, those movies are somewhat, I don't know how true the stories are, but like they're supposed to be based on true stories, true events and everything. So it's like if you were to tell your kid, you know what, why don't you research this and, you know, and we'll talk about this after you've done some research to see what this is about, about the true events that allegedly happened. Um, You know, why why don't you take a look at that? And sometimes like, you know, your kid might wind up reading about this and then realizing, oh, this is really dark and this doesn't feel right because if you're raising them in a christian household chances are they are going to recognize that stuff and they might even just be like hey um never mind mom dad i i changed my mind it's a little too occult yeah and i want to actually bring up something because jonathan mentioned an m night movie and i want to mention another (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, but when we talk about like scary movies And, you know, I think horror has this connotation and a lot of, you know, especially in Christian minds that it has to do deal with the demonic and and the spiritual. And that's not always true. And I I think, you know, we got to realize that the genre is just really wide. And so, you know, when I think about someone saying no to absolutely every single horror movie, I think you really miss out on some that do have some good messages that aren't really that much of a horror movie. I think about The Village which honestly it's more of a romance than a horror movie and the whole that whole movie is about you know courage in the face of someone you love in danger and it's all about sacrifice for someone else you know and if you just say straight up okay no no to any anything that might potentially scare me then i i think you might miss out on a lot of really positive messages yeah, and M. Night is a goldmine of good, uh, more Twilight Zone-esque kind of scary thrills without without the, um, I guess, the occult. I, 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 we got to just quickly mention the C.S. Lewis quote because the C.S. Lewis quote, I think, is so good when it comes to being intrigued by these you know films about possession and different things. He said this. He said, there's two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, and and as we sort of bring this conversation to a close, I wanted to go back to something that you said, Emily, about researching. That's one of the things that the plugged in we have heard can provide <laughs> to kids as well. You know, I know of a lot of parents who actually, you know, their kids ask about a certain movie, a certain scary movie. They say, can I watch this? And the parents will say, why don't you go to plugged in? read the review, and then you tell me whether you think it's appropriate. I was going to bring that up, like, after, so I'm glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I do think that sometimes kids kids often are a little bit more aware of where their boundaries are than sometimes we give them credit for. And if we give them a little bit of of ability to speak into those decisions, I think it can help make these conversations easier. Um it, Obviously, as we talk about scary movies, especially when we're talking about kids in scary movies, be very, very aware of what you you are considering. Uh, go to the Plugged In Review, research the movie, uh, and if possible, if it gets you a green light, if you feel like it's appropriate, sit down and watch with the kids too. Because again, getting back to what we talked about earlier, 
to deal with some of those those frights in a safe space, there is no place more safe than in mom's and dad's presence. They can ask questions. You can deal with issues as they come up. If, if you decide to go down that road, um, be there with them. Make sure that yeah, they know that yeah. you are there with them every step of the way. Yeah. Good word. Good word. Thanks so much, guys. This was a great conversation. Um, we are going to go into a different direction uh, related to scary movies. Speaking of scary movies, David A.R. White uh, knows <laughs> something about striking fear not into kids, <laughs> but into Christians. He does it with with really angry professors. He does it with angry atheists. Uh, he does all manner of cultural touchstones that, that can have Christians shaking in their shoes. Uh, but he's starring in a new movie that's really very different. Uh, Nothing is Impossible is part romance, part sports story, and part rumination of what God might be doing through trials. Uh, Adam talks with him about his new movie, a Christian filmmaking, and he also asks David about what advice he would give to young filmmakers who want to get into the business. David, I, I'm guessing that a lot of our listeners are familiar with you from the popular God's Not Dead franchise, but you've actually got a new movie that just started streaming on Pure Flix, and it's called Nothing is Impossible. Tell us a bit about the story and uh, what drew you to be involved in it. Yeah, you know, I've been, um, oh, most of these movies, obviously, I've been part of Pure Flix for a long time. We started sure. it in 2005, so I've been producing. Uh, and, you know, really at the inception of almost all the movies and the originals that we, we put out. Um, so not, with nothing's impossible, we started this movie way back in 2013. Oh, wow. I was hoping, yeah, that, uh, you know, it went through all these different script writers trying to get it to a place. It was a passion project of mine. And, and, uh, and my good buddy, Tommy Blaze, who actually wrote God's Not Dead, um, was one of the main writers on three. And then he wrote four and then he is actually working on the, the next one of five, uh, is wrote this one came in several years ago and uh and i've been working on it and i just love this movie because it's about second chances it's about dreams you know how we how it's so universal in the way that we all have these and uh yeah and so here's a guy who's um he never made it to the nba he was very close the owner's daughter at the time of this little of this nba team um, out of tennessee uh, he fell in love with, and then they ended up, you know, they were engaged and they never ended up getting married. And so 20 years later, he's a janitor. He's, you know, he lives with his dad. who's an alcoholic. He is, uh, you know, his car doesn't work. It's just like down on life in the way that, uh, yeah. nothing has gone right for him. And he's also got these friends who also have their, you know, they have all their idiosyncrasies and problems. And so, uh, there's a chance for open tryouts to go back to the NBA, but he, he does it because he wants to meet the girl who is now the <laughs> owner of this team. He wants to go back and see whatever happened to this relationship that he you know never finalized. And so it's cool. It's a romance with the backdrop of the NBA and, and, uh, and dreams. Now, do you have a basketball background yourself personally? I do. It's not a great one. I mean, I played in high school some and I played, <laughs> you know, uh, it's different than my son actually is a basketball player. He's, okay. he's, he's about six. He's almost six, three. He's 16. Oh, wow. And, uh, he's been playing since he was five years old and he's been playing on, you know, travel teams and everything. And, 
It's unlike he's far better trained than I ever was. <laughs> let's just say. <laughs> well, you touched on some of the themes, but what do you hope that viewers take away from the film? Yeah, I um, I'm a big believer that God puts a certain dream in our hearts for a reason and a purpose, and we don't always understand what that is. Um, my story is a little bit of this. You know, it, it resonates a lot with me. I'm a kid from Kansas who, you know, practically grew up on a wheat farm who had a dream to go in the entertainment industry, which didn't make any sense because we didn't even have a drama program in our little <laughs> Mennonite town, you know? And so I moved to LA when I was 19 and pursued that. And so, you know, my father always wanted me to become an evangelist. Well, I didn't want to become an evangelist. My father was a pastor. Hmm. And, uh, and it's like, that's how I think the Lord uses these things that are inside of us. He did it for me in a lot of different ways. And, uh, and that's what this movie really is about. It's about second chances. It's about dreams. It's about that kernel of a thing that he had put, that God had put in your heart that didn't come to fruition. And in this movie, we start to see it not only in my character, Scott Beck, but in also all these other surrounding characters as well. Hmm. Well, your background is a great segue into another question that I wanted to ask you. I occasionally run into young people who have an aspiration to have a career in movies or in television. We've actually got a young woman that's in our youth group at church who she really wants to go to Hollywood and be an actress. So two part question, what would you say to a young person of faith who wants to pursue that career uh, either as an actor or maybe as a filmmaker? And then what would you say to their parents who might have concerns about them going in that direction? I would tell them to don't do it. <laughs> do whatever else you can uh, and be happy with it. You know, the joke is that, hey, if there's anything else that you can do and find peace in and, and uh, you know, and, and happiness in, um, and joy in, then you should do that. Because, you know, going in the entertainment industry is one of the toughest things in the world to pursue. Hmm. However, if there's not something that you can think of that, that you want to pursue as well, then, uh, then pursue that God given gift and make yourself excellent at it. Uh, wherever you're at, hone your skills, learn everything you can about it. You know, Romans 12 talks about, we all have different gifts according to the measure given to each and every one of us. Mm. Um, but with those gifts, I, I believe there is a learning process to it and trying to be excellent at it. And with, and that's so important, you know, um, so often people think, oh, I have a passion to be an actor. That's enough. And it's, it's just like everything else. You know, you don't, you don't become a lawyer uh, just by having a passion to do law. You mm. have to go to school for it. You have to right. work at it. The entertainment industry is, a, I have a lot of people all the time telling me they want to go into the entertainment industry because it seems like it's just glitz, glamour. Oh, that's, you know, I want to walk on a red carpet. I want to do, you know, right. I'd like to star in a movie with so-and-so and meet all these really cool people. But what a lot of people fail to realize is that it is, you know, it's a learned um, craft as well. Hmm. Well, and that brings me to my next question. Uh, it's a little bit broader question. I think it's safe to say you're you're really a Christian movie veteran and insider at this point. Um, another two-part question. What's your perspective on how Christian movies are evolving and changing these days? And how do you think mainstream Hollywood perceives the Christian film market today? I, it's interesting. I, I feel like Hollywood kind of goes in its in and out of its uh, love for our industry. Hmm. You know, um, I'm I'm thrilled and and thankful and grateful to have been on the front end of it. I you know I I always had a passion for um, 
a faith-based movie, Christian industry. And I'm grateful that in the process of, you know, when God's Not Dead originally came out in 2014, it was really, it opened the landscape that woke Hollywood up to say, oh, wow, there is a uh, a market here, and people do have a hunger for deeper spiritual meanings in movies. Hmm. Yes, we're still making them to be entertaining. Yes, we want them to be fun and, you know, and, and good at their core. Uh, they don't always, you know, they're not always perfect by any means. Obviously, our budgets are way less than, you know, a normal Hollywood movie. However... I, I still believe that, you know, God says my word will not come back void. And there, and it's so key to connect that God uses these movies to connect the people on an extraordinary way that mm. normally you wouldn't think that would happen. And, and obviously God's like that is, I think of, you know, and, and some of these movies that have come out, even from, you know, I can only imagine and these other movies, they've connected to people as much as your, you know, your blockbuster $200 million movie. Yeah. But because of that, and that's what I think, I think ultimately that's where we're, we're at, whether or not, you know, the theatrical movies are questionable, of course, right now for anybody, for not only us, but also for Hollywood. Yeah. Well, last question for you today. I know that we've got some God's Not Dead fans in our audience. Any sneak peeks or, or insider tidbits on what we can expect from the fifth installment, which I believe is coming out next year. Is that correct? Yep, that's the plan. Um, we're uh, just finishing the script right now, okay. and, uh, and and excited to go into production um, first part of next year. So it's really at an exciting spot. You know, it's uh, I, I never expected to do another God's Not Dead. I can say that every single time. You know, <laughs> I think I keep thinking, well, this is probably it. You know, yeah, and. Uh, and then, you know, when, when God's Not Dead, We the People came out, it was extraordinary in a way that um, we only ran in theaters for three days, you know, on 670 screens or something like that. And yet it was it played to sold out performances similar to the first one mm-hmm. and uh, standing ovations. And, and it really impacted people and, you know, and they connected with it. And so um, I'm grateful and I'm humbled always to continue on in our uh, our series. But, uh, yeah, it's exciting. And, you know. Uh, right now, on I, on for the first time ever on a streaming platform, all four movies are streaming. So oh, okay. if you've never seen, a lot of people don't even know that we made four God's Not Dead. You know, um, I always try to just encourage people that hey, if you haven't seen them all, they're you know they they're all standalones and they're all now on Pureflex. You can binge them all. All right. Well, David, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with us today. I really appreciate getting some insight into your latest film and, and a little bit of a peek into the industry and and what is coming. And if you want to find out more about any of the movies that we've talked about today, you'll find our review of Nothing is Impossible, as well as the first four God's Not Dead movies in the episode notes for today's show. Thanks, David. Thanks so much. God bless you. And now it is time for one of my favorite segments, even though I never win, Pop Culture (laughs) Connection. When our producer, Ashley, uh, asks us all very thought-provoking questions within the realm of pop culture and asks us to come up with our best answer along with reasons why we gave that answer within 30 seconds. Who will win? Ashley will tell us at the end. That's right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? Yes. As ready as I can be. Emily, you're up first. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Oh, man, that's awesome. I'm always like either the first person or the last person. I'm never anywhere in the middle. Ah. 
All right. Who do you consider to be the best movie character from the 80s and why? Ferris Bueller. Ooh. Because Bueller, Bueller, because he and his sister uh, get up against the principal and outsmart him because he completely destroys his best friend's dad's car, but it turns out to be a good thing because it opens up a conversation for his best friend to have a conversation (laughs) with his dad uh, because he gets the girl, because he dances on the float in the parade, because he sneaks in and pretends that he's a fur... um, uh, person (laughs) (laughs) nice nice love that that makes me want to just sing uh, the Beatles song on that float twist and shout yeah it made me want to make me want to dance just wait how many many points how many points did you give six oh jonathan i think counted eight but jonathan doesn't count i I counted six yeah that was good yeah, we weren't allowed to watch that movie when I was little because my dad thought it would give us ideas. Stealing the car. <laughs> yeah. Skipping school. Yeah. Skipping school. Oh, man. Stealing yeah. the family Ferrari. That's right. All right, Jonathan, let's have you up next. And then next. point in reverse to lower okay. the mileage. <laughs> Drive it in reverse. That was fun. That was All a great right. car. I loved that car. It was a great car. Uh, oh, Jonathan's going to nail this one. Oh, I don't know about that. Who is better, Captain America or Iron Man, and why? Ooh. Definitely Iron Man because he's rich. He's good looking. He's got that really cool mask. He's got like <laughs> rockets that shoot out of his feet. He's got the girl. I mean, let's be honest. He's got the tallest building around. The guy is looked up by everybody. He's in charge of the group. He's got a cool robot that's at a beck and call. He's got an inventive mind. He's pretty much the guy they all go to, you know, for anything. He's also, you know, Oh, That's wrong. There we go. He's the source nice. of 80% of Marvel villains. <laughs> I got 11, Jonathan. Oh, my goodness. You know what? You should get minus 10 for just having the wrong answer. Wrong <laughs> answer. That might be another podcast someday. It is. All right. Kennedy. Yeah. We'll have you next. And your question is, who do you think is the most underrated actor of all time and why? Oh, geez. Um, I'm, I'm just going to go with probably, I don't know, Adam Scott. <laughs> you I agree. Him, you don't see him in too much, I'll be honest. And I, I'll be, I only really know him from Parks and Rec, but he's my favorite character in that show. And you... That's really my answer. I just really <laughs> like him in that show, and I'd like to see him in a lot more, you know? So Makes sense. I'll just let the timer run out for the All rest right. of it, because I'm done. <laughs> nice job. You know, I... I think my answer would have been another Parks and Rec guy. Oh, yeah? Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah, well, only because he can. He doesn't get a chance to do very much in his action roles, but he's very funny, and he actually... Yeah. Makes you feel sorry for him sometimes, you mm-hmm. know. But he got Hollywoodized. He did get Hollywoodized. Yeah, but, yeah. but you know what? You know what? He he's Mario now. Him and Jack Black. No. Yeah. Oh, that's Mario awesome. and Jack Black is Bowser. Oh, oh my wow. goodness! Wow. You know what? Oh, and he does a he does a an a we'll just say a Brooklyn accent. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Sounds like something we'll be talking about. You, you probably got to go back and see Chris Pratt in uh, the TV series Everwood. It was like his first thing. He was just a kid. Okay. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah. He was, he was a kid and he was a good character. He was a kid? Wow. Well, right, well, well, he was like an, he was probably like a 20 year old playing a teenager, you know? As sometimes happens. Your question is 
Which makes you laugh harder, memes or reels, and why? Memes, because I never watch reels. I think that memes can have a lot of really funny things. I really dig the ones. Actually, Kennedy has a whole bunch of memes that he used to have hanging on his cubicle wall that he took down, uh, yeah, which makes me sad. In fall. But, but I do like when I see memes, I just tend to laugh. I catch them like probably about a week and a half after everybody else has laughed at them. But I do enjoy them, and I think that they're pretty witty. I wish I could put together my own memes. Uh, <laughs> I, well, was that? Did I get a point? Did I get I, anything? I, I, I got three. Two or three. <laughs> I yeah. think you get a pretty significant <laughs> point for the fact that you don't even watch reels. That's probably good. That you know. I'm busy reviewing movies. <laughs> You're I like, don't I don't got time, time for and social of course, media. That means Jonathan is our winner. Oh, good job, Jonathan. Goodness. Iron Man. Congratulations, Jonathan, for going shallowest with my answer, but getting <laughs> the most. And having the wrong answer, Captain America is the <laughs> well, oh, I know. I totally, I totally Stark. think Captain America is totally the answer, but I could think of more things for Iron Man. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's why I win, Paul. So he took the cheap points. Fair enough. No, Paul, I just really like how the end of your answer, you just became really vulnerable. Just, I really wish I could make a meme. Yeah. There, it needs, like, like, skills on computers, right? Yeah. You know, anyway. Anyway. Requires, yeah. <laughs> I could probably show you how to do it really quick. All right, you can do that. It, 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 You'll me never that it won't do be, it, though. <laughs> promise me it won't be scary. To link back to what we've talked about earlier. So, speaking of which, oh man, just groans. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us today on the Plugged In Show. Hope we didn't trick you and gave you plenty of treats for your time. Speaking of which, why don't you knock on our door virtually speaking? Give us your own thoughts on Facebook or Instagram or email us at team at thepluggedinshow.com. And join us soon for another beautiful conversation on the Plugged In Show. We're dying for your company. You're way too proud of these puns. I know. (laughs) 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 No one laughed at my pop culture connection line in the intro. I was. I know there was a social. There was a total. (sighs) It didn't bomb. It was just. It made it me angry. You could have at least it. Faked made me it. angry. <laughs> That's the problem. I, I thought you were just talking about like, hey, don't give us 20 reasons. Just tell exactly. us what you're afraid of. That, that's, that's, it did. I was like, literally like, oh, that's what he meant. Oh, Clever girl. Gotcha. No, I got it gotcha. immediately. I was just, it just made me angry. That, that's, that's funnier funny. now. Yeah, I was like, it wasn't that funny. I don't know. <laughs> In Adventures in Odyssey's 73rd album, 28 Hours, Odyssey's favorite son is missing. Jason? Jason! And lives are at stake. If we move him, he dies. And if you stay here, you all die! Above all else, everyone wants to know... What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? It's a jam-packed 28 Hours and album 73 of Adventures in Odyssey. Available now on the club and download. Coming soon to CD. Learn more at adventuresinodyssey.com.